Well, if you're able, please stand with me as we read through our passage this morning. And as I read, I want you to listen for how this family trait of honor manifests itself in the church. First Timothy chapter five, beginning in verse one. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead, even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. If a believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the title of this morning's sermon is Honor in God's Family. And if we were to sum up God's priority for honor in his family, we might put it like this. The father deeply cares that his faithful children receive honor. The father deeply cares that his faithful children receive honor. And the first way that we see the Lord calling us to honor one another is in the way that we speak. And that brings us to our first point this morning. Speak words that honor all. Speak words that honor all. And this will take us through the first two verses in our passage. Now, Paul begins by addressing what should be true of all relationships within the church. And the family language can't be missed. If we look again at verses 1 through 2, we see the language of father, brothers, mothers, and sisters. And we see that it's centered on speech, which calls us back to chapter 4, verse 12, where young Timothy was called to set the believers an example in speech. 
And so now he's given real life opportunities to put this example to the test. To honor fellow church members like family through respectful, honorable speech. And we share this same calling today. And so it should cause us to reflect on how we treat the members in our church family. Next time we head into a conversation with a fellow church member, we should ask ourselves, how can I go out of my way to show honor? How can I offer loving and helpful encouragement to them? Am I viewing this brother or sister as my own family member? And what wisdom can I glean from my brother or sister or father or mother in the faith? Because rather than approaching one another in ways that might seem right in our eyes, we must do so in a way that's right in the Lord's eyes. And that means speaking words that are flavored with honor. And this is how a healthy church family relates to one another, as we see in this passage. And it should even be the case when we need to offer each other with correction. When this is necessary, it is to be done gently, not sharply just as though we are speaking to our own parents or siblings. In his second letter to Timothy, Paul calls him to correct even his own opponents with gentleness. How much more so should this be true with his spiritual parents and siblings? Because all of this is meant to serve the goal of building one another up in the Lord. And as the pastor of the church in Ephesus, Timothy would have likely been familiar with Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 4. Speak the truth in love. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Beloved, the Lord cares deeply how we speak to one another. So let's strive to show honor and respect through words that are carefully measured. And this is one of the most important ways God's family will be marked with honor. But honor-filled relationships in the church aren't just measured by our speech. They must also be measured by the ways that we tangibly care for one another, especially those among us who are in need. And this brings us to the second way honor is shown in God's family. Supply the needs of the faithful. We must supply the needs of the faithful. And this point will take us through the rest of our passage this morning. Now, as we begun by getting a bird's eye view of the church as a family, now we zoom in on specific family members. In recent sermons, we've looked at other family members in the church, like husbands and wives. But in the rest of 1 Timothy 5, the Lord focuses our attention on another member of the family, on the widow. And to my knowledge, this is the longest passage about widows in the entire New Testament. And so this should help us understand just how valuable this passage is to us. Because it's doing something unique in reassuring us that not one member in God's family is insignificant in his sight. And this has always been true of God's character. Throughout the Old Testament, we see that the Lord is deeply concerned about the vulnerable ones among his people, like the orphan and the widow. 
So much so that it's actually one of the ways that God is identified in the Psalms. Listen to Psalm 68, verse 5. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Or Psalm 146, verse 9. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widows and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. So we see that the Lord mercifully watches over widows to protect them and to uphold them. And he's not just concerned about them, right, in a vague sense, but he's deeply concerned that they would receive honor in the community of faith. And I wonder if we often think of the Lord in this kind of way. And if it's the Lord's desire to supply the needs of the faithful, if that's his desire, then it must also be so for his family, the church. And this is really important for us to see, right? Because when the church was just beginning, who do we discover was being overlooked? Well, it was some of the church's widows. In Acts chapter 6, verse 1, Luke tells us that in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, those are Greek-speaking Jews, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. The needs of these widows were not being provided for by the church. And although the church was growing in number, there was a need for it to grow in health, specifically in its care for those in need. And if you remember how the story goes, this is when the apostles appoint the first deacons. Apostles needed to remain committed to preaching the word of God. They also saw that it was necessary to assign specific members to care for these tangible needs of these widows. And what do we read a few verses later in Acts 6 after these widows have been cared for? And the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. So with that background in mind, we discover that caring for the church's widows is essential to the church's health. And we should share the same impulse of those believers in the early church that it's not right for anyone to be overlooked in the church's ministry. And this is why Paul begins by saying that these godly widows are worthy of the church's honor. Not only by paying attention to their needs, but providing for their needs. These needs could be financial with the loss of a husband's income. They could be physical with the loss of a husband's labor around the home. We could understand the supplying of these needs in various ways. Everything from providing financial help to helping with yard work to moving furniture or to changing a car battery. Her church family should be eager to generously supply her needs in these ways, among others. But we must notice that Paul begins in verse 4 with the specific responsibility of a widow's immediate family. Paul writes, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Now, when I got to this verse in my study, I was so thankful to have such a wonderful example to point to, sitting right over here, Matt and Sarah Alsop. 
Because of your loving and generous care, our dear sister Linda is having her needs met by her own children. Matt and Sarah, I hope you realize this isn't just an honorable blessing to Linda. This is pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. And what a joyful thing it is to witness the truth of this passage on display in your own household. What a gift. And this call for Christians to faithfully supply the needs of their own children. It's one of Paul's biggest concerns in this passage. And it serves like bookends to the passage, we could say. Because we don't just see it in verse 4 at the beginning. But we also see it at the end in verse 16. Where Paul writes, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. So this means that when members like Matt and Sarah are faithful to supply the needs of the widow within their own family, the church has more resources available to supply the needs of those that Paul calls truly widows, those without family, to care for them in these ways. And so we see that when a few members are faithful to their own household, really, this is a benefit to the entire church. And beloved, this is why God's word is calling all of us to supply the needs of the faithful. And if that's true, then we must also believe that the family's neglect to supply these needs would be grievous in the eyes of the Lord. You may have noticed that sharp warning in verse 8 when we read through our passage. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, these are strong words from the Apostle Paul. And just to be sure, he's not talking about Christians who are unable to provide because of a lack of financial resources. That's where the church can come in. He's talking about those who refuse to do so. And in this case, they're not only disregarding God's command to honor your father and your mother, but they're also rejecting the gospel's call to move generously toward those in need, especially those within our own families. And why would they be considered worse than an unbeliever? It's an interesting phrase. It's because even those outside the church know that providing for the needs of family members is honorable and right. And it's similar to what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount when he asks, don't even the Gentiles and the tax collectors do the same? The implication is clear. The Lord expects more from the heart of the Christian when it comes to supplying the needs of the faithful around them. The Christian community must be set apart from the world in this way. As one commentator has rightly said, any community that doesn't care well for its own, will eventually cease to care for anyone. Beloved, may it never be true of us that we cease caring for the members of this body. Because our Lord expects this kind of care from his church. And we should be motivated by this picture of the godly widow, the one who is faithful to the Lord in the midst of great need. Let's look again at verse 5. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God, and continues in supplications and prayers night 
and day. Her hope is fixed on the Lord because she trusts him and him alone to supply her needs. And what an example this is to each and every one of us. And I've had to ask myself, do I cling to the Lord in this kind of way? Do you cling to the Lord in this kind of way? This is the picture that Jesus paints in Luke 18 with the parable of the persistent widow. In verse 1, Luke writes, He told them a parable to this effect, for this reason, that they ought always to pray and not to lose heart. So when Jesus wants to teach on the importance of not losing heart in prayer, what image does he reach for? He reaches for the image of the widow. The picture of desperate trust in the Lord clinging to him and crying out to him in faith. And as Paul shows us in 1 Timothy 5.9, this kind of faithful trust in the Lord is evident throughout her life. Having been the wife of one husband, that means faithful throughout her marriage. Having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, if she's loved the saints herself, if she's washed the feet of the saints, has cared for those who are afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. This might sound similar to something else we've seen in 1 Timothy. We've seen the qualifications of godly elders and deacons. Now we're seeing the qualifications of the godly widow. Her godly character is highly significant in the eyes of the Lord and in the eyes of his church. And the opportunity that the rest of us have to glean from the faithful example of a godly widow, a faithful trust in the Lord, it's difficult to put into words how valuable this example is. And recently I've had the privilege of having pastoral visitations with Pam Stinson and Linda Alsop. During my time with these sisters, I was so encouraged to hear how these sisters testified to how they've recently been tasting of the Lord's goodness and faithfulness. These women live out the picture of the faithful widow that's painted by the Lord Jesus and the Apostle Paul, modeling steadfast trust in the Lord as their refuge and strength. And this is something that's very sobering to all of us in this room who are married. If the Lord were to take your spouse home to him, would you press even more into trusting the only one who can meet all of your needs? It's an extremely difficult question to face. And it's a reality that our dear sisters are living in. And by God's sustaining grace, they have maintained a reputation of faithful trust in the Lord. And Redeemer Church is richly blessed by the godly example of both of these dear sisters. They exemplify the kind of trust in the Lord that is worthy of the church's honor and respect. But this passage does not promise that those who find themselves in these circumstances will continue to live in godliness, as Pam and Linda have. Because as opposed to the faithful widow who completely leans on the Lord, there are those instead who turn to live in a deathly kind of self-indulgence, as we read in verse 6. And it seems that this is the same kind of widow that Paul is describing in verses 11 through 13. 
We read of younger widows desiring marriage that are drawn away from Christ and abandon the faith because of their own passions. Now, to be clear, Paul can't be saying that a widow's desire for remarriage is sinful in itself because he actually counsels them toward remarriage and raising a family in verse 14. But he is saying that it's possible for this desire to draw them away from trust in the Lord. Rather than being like the faithful widow in verse 5, being drawn to the Lord in faith, they are drawn away from him in their sin. And this passage shows us that though we are responsible to supply the needs of the faithful, we are not responsible to supply the needs of the faithless. Those that verse 15 says have already strayed after Satan. Surely we should care for them. But there's a difference that Paul's talking here in terms of supplying needs. And hear me, I'm not at all trying to minimize the difficulty that one might face in this experience, no matter what stage in life. I hope that's clear. But I do see all the more reason for the church to come around them in compassion, lovingly encouraging them and supporting them toward faithfulness. Because this is what our Lord would have us do as his family. As the Apostle James writes in James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This isn't just Paul's idea. It's all over the Bible. And if we are to be faithful to this end, then we must continue taking all of our cues from this book. And along these lines, it's difficult to think of a more helpful example in Scripture than the book of Ruth, which Alice read for us earlier in our service. Besides the Lord himself, right, who do we see more faithfully caring for the widow than Boaz? Listen again to this beautiful blessing that Boaz gave to Ruth. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz knows that the Lord rewards the faithful widow, like Ruth, with the blessing of his sheltering presence. But then, this is really interesting. Listen to how Ruth speaks to Boaz just a few verses later when she meets him at the threshing floor in chapter 3. She says to Boaz, spread your wings over your servant. That's very similar language to how the Lord was described just a few verses earlier. And then, this is the reason why. She says this, for you are a redeemer. Ruth trusted in Boaz, her caring relative as a kind of redeemer. In Boaz, she saw the character of the Lord, the one who shelters the needy with his presence. But beloved, I hope you know there is a redeemer far greater than Boaz. One who came through his own family line, the Lord Jesus Christ. In this redeemer, there is not only refuge for the widow, but there is refuge for all who would come to him in faith. On the cross, he sacrificed himself for us in our greatest need, 
that need to be saved from our own sin. And those who trust in him follow in his example, lovingly sacrificing themselves for the needs of others. Because of Christ and him alone, his church can supply the needs of the faithful in a way even greater than Boaz could. And we should long to see this play out in the church, like we read in Acts chapter 4. I want to close with, with these verses, verses 32 to 35. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, unity. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. And listen to this. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Amen. May this be the kind of sacrificial love and care that marks the saints of Redeemer Church. Because of the Lord's abundant generosity that he has shown to us, to those who were completely unworthy of being shown honor from him, we are enabled to show honor to one another as God's family members. In the power of the Spirit, let us strive to honor one another in everything, from how we speak to one another and to how we supply the needs of the faithful among us. All because we want to be faithful to our Father, the one who cares deeply that his faithful children receive honor. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that though we were unworthy of being shown any kind of favor or grace, or that you gave you gave to us your Son. And in Him, we have salvation. He is our Redeemer. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would help this church to follow in your example, sacrificing ourselves for the needs of those among us. Lord, we trust you to use us in a way that only you can. And we depend upon your strength to this end. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.